Um, I'm so thankful for people like Kathy that remind us of prayer and the gift that it is. I mean, it's pretty incredible to think that the creator of the universe is available to us through prayer, that we can have a conversation with God, the one who created all that we see, the one who placed the stars in the sky that made each person, that we can have a conversation with him. And that as we talk with him, he speaks back to us. It's a pretty amazing thing to think about, a gift that we have. And what makes it even more incredible is that there was a period in history where that wasn't accessible for everyone. Where if you wanted to talk to God, or if you had something going on in your life that you wanted to see him do something new in, or if you wanted to have a conversation with him, you had to go through somebody else. There was another person that you had to uh, engage with and talk to who was like a go-between between you and God. Um, someone that would help speak for him. And, and the name of that person was priest. There were priests in the Old Testament. That would be your go-between. And the Old Testament tells us the story of the very first priest leader, uh, a man named Moses, that led the Jewish people. He used him for 40 years, leading the people out of slavery in Egypt back to the promised land between the Jordan River and the Mediterranean Sea. And, and God worked in him in a powerful way. And when I say the name Moses... I don't know what image pops to your mind. Maybe this picture comes to mind when you hear the word Moses, right? <laughs> Charlton Heston from years ago. Uh, more recently, there was a newer movie. Maybe this image comes to mind when you hear Moses. This is uh, Christian Bale. This is about five years ago, another movie about Moses. Uh, he is quite the character in Scripture and really a fascinating person that for hundreds and thousands of years, people have thought about and talked about because of his complex story and the ways that God worked through him. We're going to spend uh, several weeks this fall talking about Moses' life and how God used him in a powerful way to help the people as they, as they wandered through the wilderness to get back to their homeland, their promised land. Because for many of us, we, we sometimes see our lives as wandering. We, we feel like we're kind of making our way through our day, through our week, but don't always feel like we know exactly what is going to happen. Sometimes we feel like we're missing the direction of God. Um, I don't know about you, but there's times when I intentionally wander a little bit. I'll be out driving, and uh, I'll come across a side street that I haven't been down before, and I'll just go down to explore and see what's down there. Now, when the kids were younger and they would all be in the car with me, after a little while, they would say something like, Dad, are we lost? <laughs> You know, they say, are, are we lost? We've been out here for a while. And as a guy, I find that offensive, you know, to, to have someone ask if I'm lost. No, I'm exploring. I'm just seeing what's out there. I'm having fun. But there are times in our lives when we feel like we're wandering out there. We might know where we're going. We might have an idea about the destination. But our day-to-day -day lives, we feel a little bit like we're wandering. So Moses leads the people through this time of wandering, these 40 years in the wilderness, through what is today Saudi Arabia and Jordan and Egypt, and he's leading them. Can you imagine like a 40-year road trip with a bunch of kids in the back seat saying, are we there yet? Are we there yet? You know, are you lost? Um, you know, and that's kind of what Moses had to deal with. Uh, as we begin this morning, I want to ask you to watch a short little four-minute video with me that sort of sets up the life of Moses. It talks about this idea of the priest and the priest image that we have in the Old Testament. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit about that, and then we're going to go back into some time of singing. But I just want you to watch this video with me right now. The story of the Bible begins in a garden temple with a couple, Adam and Eve, as God's royal priests. They're supposed to partner with God to take care of creation, and this place where heaven and earth are one is filled with God's blessing. But Adam and Eve were led astray by a deceptive creature and exiled from God's presence. Their vocation as priests is lost. And with that, all humanity descends into violence. But 
God promises that a new royal priest will come to lead them back into the blessing of Eden by sacrificing himself. So later on, we meet a new couple, Abraham and Sarah. God promises that through their family, the royal priest will come to restore the Eden blessing, not just for them, but for all the nations. And so it's this family that grows to become the Israelites. And they eventually journey to Egypt and then become enslaved under the violent rule of King Pharaoh. So God appoints a man named Moses to represent him to Pharaoh and to mediate on Israel's behalf. Moses confronts Pharaoh and then leads Israel out of slavery into the wilderness where they eventually come to Mount Sinai. And here, God appears to all the Israelites, inviting them to become a kingdom of priests. So he's inviting everyone to be priests, like Adam and Eve were priests in Eden. Right. But it turns out the people are afraid of God, and they don't want to come close to God's presence. And so Moses goes alone up to the top of the mountain. And up there, Moses famously gets the Ten Commandments. The first two being, worship Yahweh alone and don't make idol statues. And Moses sees some really amazing things up there. First, he sees God's heavenly temple, and then also a blueprint of it called the pattern. All right, the plans for the construction of the tabernacle. Yeah, it's designed as a symbolic model of Eden, a place where heaven and earth are one. Then Moses sees something else, the pattern of a glorious human figure. The high priest who will work in the tabernacle. Right, and only this priest can go in and out of the sacred space on behalf of others. He's dressed in white, he wears a crown and is glowing with jewels. He's an image of the royal priest that we're waiting for. And yet, the man who's called to be Israel's first high priest is the brother of Moses, a man named Aaron. And while Moses is up seeing all of this, down at the foot of the mountain, Aaron is misleading the people by making an idol statue of God. So the soon-to-be high priest is breaking the first of the Ten Commandments. Yes. And so God gets angry, and he tells Moses that he's done with these people. He'll just start over with Moses. But Moses stands before God, and he intercedes for the Israelites. He even offers his own life as a sacrifice for their sins. And while God doesn't take Moses' life, he does forgive the people like Moses asked. And so when Moses comes down from the mountain, he's shining, just like the high priest that he saw in his vision. It's like he's the real priest that his brother was supposed to be, but failed. And from here, the tabernacle is built. And then Aaron's family is installed to the priesthood. But really? Even after this bad start? Yeah, and actually things get even worse. God gives Aaron and his sons really precise instructions on how to act as the priests. And then on their first day on the job, Aaron's two sons violate God's commands. And because they're in a place of great privilege and responsibility, God deals severely. They die inside the tabernacle. Things are not looking good for the priesthood of Aaron. Right. Both Aaron and his sons have failed in their priestly role. And this begins to make us think maybe God's people need a different kind of priesthood. Maybe one that's more like Moses, who surrendered his very life over to God. Yes, and while Moses is great, he also fails to be fully obedient to God. And so both he and Aaron die outside the land promised to Abraham. So Moses was only an image of the kind of priest that God's people will need. Right, we're still waiting for this ultimate royal priest who will intercede like Moses and offer his life for the failures of others. So we're waiting for this priest to come. The people are in the Old Testament. 
And we're, uh, we're reminded that Aaron is there, and Aaron is not a perfect priest. He fails, and, and Moses, uh, the priest leader, also is not able to help the people connect with God in all the ways that he asks. And so the people are still waiting for that priest. When you hear the word priest, I don't know what comes to mind. If I were to say that I live next door to a priest, what kind of image would you have in your mind? Would you, like, ask, does he wear that little clerical collar, you know, when he's out mowing the lawn? Does he have the collar on? Or uh, what church does he lead? We, the word priest has come to mean a certain kind of follower of Jesus that's different from other kinds of Christians, other followers of Jesus. But that's not really what God intended from the beginning when he called the people of Israel to be the nation of priests. Here's what he said to Moses when Moses was on the mountain. He said, although the whole earth is mine... You will be for me, and when he said you, he meant you and your people. At this time, the Hebrew people numbered around two or three million people. And he said, you will be for me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. See, God didn't want just a few leaders speaking out for the people. He didn't want to interact with just a couple that were picked out hand by hand. He, he wanted to interact with all those who were calling on him, on all those who were identified as children of God. And so Moses begins to lead these people through a period of wandering uh, through the wilderness so that they can grow in their understanding of the glory and the holiness of God and, and this idea of the priesthood. And, and this is something that we read about in the New Testament as well. Peter, one of Jesus' first friends and followers, would write to the church and he would write these words, but you are a chosen people. You, church, are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Chosen, royal, holy. These are words that describe those who surrender their lives to Jesus, who become followers of Christ, who become Christians. And we don't always embrace that. We hear those words that we might not think of ourselves, chosen, royal, and holy. But that indeed is who we are. So, I don't want to embarrass anyone right now, but Jimmy, would, would you stand up just for a second? Yeah, I'm going to embarrass you. You are hand-selected by God. You are his son. You are pulled out and called his family. Judy, would you stand for a moment? I'm sorry, I don't want to embarrass anybody, but just for a second. You, you, you are a child of the king. You are a daughter of the king of the universe. Prince William has nothing on your lineage. You are royal in his family. Graham, would you stand just for a moment? You are set apart, holy and pleasing to God. I know you're not perfect. I'm not perfect either. But when God sees you, he sees you without blemish, without spot, because he sees you through the eyes of Jesus. Peter doesn't say, try to believe you are chosen. He doesn't say, pretend like you are royal. Work really hard to be holy. He simply says you are chosen, royal, and holy. And he says that wasn't always the case. There was a time when you hadn't received mercy, but you have now. There was a time when you hadn't accepted that gift of forgiveness from Christ, but you have, and it changes who you are. And the video mentions this tabernacle, this presence of God on earth. And Peter, as he continues to write this letter, he says that we now are like holy stones built together to create a holy place where God lives, that we are the tabernacle, that we are the reminder in our neighborhoods, that where we work, at school, where we go, that we are the reminder that God is present, that he is real. We are the ones that help people see God 
because we are royal and holy and chosen. We are the priests that God needs and calls for. We interact with him face to face. What does God deserve? Deserves all the glory, right? We just sang about that. He deserves our praise and our worship. In fact, there's one of our historical documents about our faith written hundreds of years ago, and it asks the question, what is the, the chief end of humankind? What is our purpose? What are we supposed to be about? And the answer it gives is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. To enjoy Him and to glorify Him. To glory in God, to experience His presence and His power and His joy. In the Old Testament, the word glory carried with it this idea of weight, that there was a heaviness to the glory of God. You would feel it on your back. You'd feel it around you. It would have a substance to it. And Moses experienced the glory of God and it changed him. Moses, this wandering priest leader we're going to focus on for the next several weeks, um, he encountered the holiness of God and it moved his life in a new direction. That's what the glory of God does for us. I want to get back into his story and invite you to open up your Bibles to Exodus chapter 2 or your Bible app if you've got your phone with you. And we want to look at the birth story of Moses, kind of his origin, like where he came from, and uh, look at what we can learn from the idea of glory and holiness from the life of Moses. So we're going to look at Exodus chapter 2, verse 1, and uh, I'm going to go ahead and read if you want to follow along with me. I'll pause every so often to make some comments about this reading. Uh, Exodus chapter 2, second book in the Bible, verse 1. It starts with these words, Now a man of the house of Levi married a Levite woman. Now, Levite, Levi, it's an important term. Uh, back then, the nation of Israel, again, was millions of people, but they were broken into 12 tribes. Jacob had 12 kids, 12 boys, and they became the tribes of Israel, kind of a way of organizing the nation. And Levi, we don't know this yet as we're reading, you know, as Moses' story is unfolding, we don't know this yet, but one day the Levites will be the priest leaders of the nation of Israel. And so the fact that this was a Levite man and a Levite woman having a Levite child, that's important uh, as Moses writes this story down. Verse 2, and this woman, she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. I don't know what your version says. Mine says fine. Some of you might say beautiful child, good looking, special uh, all of us as parents, when our kids are born, that's what we think about our kids, right? This is a fine child, but this is a different kind of word. There's something special about this child, uh, and it, it, she notices it, and it says that she hid him for three months. Well, why did she have to hide the child? Well, you have to go back to chapter one to hear the whole story here, but in brief, basically what happened was Joseph brought his whole family down to Egypt 400 years before this story. There's a famine in the land. Egypt had food, so he brought the whole community down, and they began to live in Egypt, and uh, he was the second most powerful man in Egypt at that time. Uh, a few years later, Pharaoh dies, Joseph dies. Eventually, a Pharaoh comes into leadership of e in Egypt, and he doesn't know these Hebrew people. All he knows is that they're multiplying like rabbits. They're all over the place. And he's like, we got to slow this down. we got to get these people under control. So about 400 years before this story, the people of Israel, the Jewish people, become slaves in Egypt. They become their workforce, and they put them to work um, as slaves. And so... As the story unfolds here in verse 1, we hear that this new Pharaoh now is saying there's so many of them, we have to slow them down even more. We've got to stop the birthing process. So he says, if you have a son, if you give birth to a son, you've got to throw him into the Nile. You've got to end his life. 
He's like, we're going to get this population under control. So he says to the Hebrew people, you're going to have to kill any boy that's born to you. So Moses' mom has him. She sees that there's something about him, so she hides him for three months so that he won't have to be thrown into the Nile. Verse 3, but when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. Then she placed the child in, in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. So she hides him as long as she can. You can imagine uh, weeks and weeks of like anxious thoughts. If, if someone, is someone going to find out when the, the, the Pharaoh's guards would come through her area of the village? You know, would they hear him crying out? Would they stop at the door? Would she lose him for three months? Eventually, she just can't do it any longer. So she puts him into a basket and covers it with, with pitch so that it will float in the water. When's the last time we read about pitch in the Old Testament, in the book of Genesis? Last time we come across this kind of process is with Noah. Noah and the ark, and the ark was covered in tar and pitch so that it would float. So Noah is placed in the water, and he is the one who saves humanity. Moses is placed in the water, and he is the one who will save his people from slavery. Um, there's this image that we catch on to of this pitch on this papyrus basket. She places it along the reeds, and she has a hope that maybe, somehow, he'll survive. Verse 4, his sister, Moses' sister, stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. Then Pharaoh Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe, and her attendants were walking along the riverbank. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her female slave to get it. She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying. She felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. I think Moses' mom knew what she was doing when she put this basket in those reeds. She didn't just pick any spot along the Nile. She found the area where she knew the, the princess, the, the daughter of Pharaoh, would be relaxing with her court. There was a set-aside area. She places the basket in the reeds near that area, hoping that somehow the only hope she had for her child was that this woman would have compassion, that the heart of this woman would be like a mother and, and be drawn to this baby, and, and that she would have a chance for this little boy to live. So the sister is watching from the sidelines and sees Pharaoh's daughter and jumps out in verse 7. Moses' sister jumps out and asks Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Yes, go, she answered. And the girl went and got the baby's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this baby and nurse him for me and I will pay you. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. How remarkable is this story? She had hoped that maybe he would survive, and now, instead of just surviving, he's protected, he's set apart, and he's given back to her for a year or so as, she, as he begins to grow, and she's also paid to take care of her own son. Uh, God is just blessing her and being glorified in an amazing way, and sometimes in our lives, we have these experiences with God, don't we, where he catches us off guard in the way that he supplies for us, the way he shows up for us, the way he takes care of us. We cry out to him with a need, and he just does more than we could have ever imagined. And that's what Jochebed, Moses' mom, that's what she's encountering here. This God who glory is, is, brings to her mercy she doesn't deserve. Verse 10, when the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter and he became her son. And she named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. Moses. This is the name given to him. The Hebrew means to pull out or draw out. So Pharaoh's daughter says, I Mosesed him out of the water. So his name will be Moses, you know. And that becomes what sets him apart. This one who's, who's pulled out, who's separated, would become the leader for the people. He'd been hidden among the reeds, but he was found and separated and called out in a special way. 
And he becomes the one who would lead this family of Abraham back to the land that was promised to them hundreds of years ago. He would be the go-between for this young nation as they moved from the oppression of Egypt, spending 40 years wandering through the wilderness and finally making it way to the promised land. And along the way, God is helping them to understand what does it mean to be holy? What does it mean to glorify God? What does it mean to be set apart to be moses out of Egypt, to be separated and, and put into a new experience. They had experienced 400 years of slavery. That's all that they knew. For hundreds of years, their, their parents, their grandparents, their great parents had, had been slaves in this country doing meaningless work, responding to what they were told to do day in and day out. And God takes 40 years to reprogram their hearts and help them understand what does it mean to be a nation of priests, What does it mean to trust your creator God? What does it mean to be set apart and to worship a holy God? It would take 400 years for this to change in their hearts. And and part of the challenge for them of being set apart, of being Moses out, part of it is is understanding what what does it mean to be holy? What does it mean to be one of a child of God? Because we, we can't manufacture holiness in our own ability. It's a gift that's given to us as the Spirit of God moves into our lives. We are holy because of what Jesus has done for us. When we surrender our lives to Christ, when we understand that we need to be forgiven, and we ask God to forgive us and realize that Jesus died on that cross for us, we are given the holiness of God. He puts His Spirit in us that we might be set apart. You are holy as a child of God, not because you're so good, but because God is so good. You're you're holy not because you're right or because you do all the right things. You're holy because Jesus did all the right things and he gives you his holiness. I like to think about holiness as hidden glory. Uh, It's the inside gift that pours out of our lives as glory to God. Every person in this room, every person in your neighborhood, anyone that you see today, they're all made in the image of God. They all carry with them this mark that God created them and made them. And they all have this potential to be image bearers of God, to, be, to carry the Holy Spirit into the world. And that's, that's what you do as followers of Jesus Christ. You carry the Spirit of God into the world. You glorify God. I've sat with so many of you and heard your stories and, 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 and seen how God is glorified in your life because of the holiness that he has placed in you. A few weeks ago, I sat with a couple and the husband volunteers at the, in Overland Park at a food bank. Every week, he spends hours organizing and sorting and giving food out to people who are hungry. And you've you got to believe that when someone who's hungry comes and gets food, that they see the glory of God. It's, they see God being providing for them. And this, this man, as he is, is doing this work in a humble way, I mean, the holiness of God that has been placed in him comes out as glory as people are fed. Later that same day, I sat with another person who told me their story of a time in their life when their freedom was taken from them and they were placed in a dark place and a, a dark season of life. And, and as they waited in that place, someone from Hillcrest came to visit them and showed up. And into the darkness walked this person of light, someone who carried with them the holiness of God. And in that dark place, this person became a follower of Jesus Christ because someone from Hillcrest came and showed up. And about 15 years ago, he was released and had freedom again. And as he came to church here, he became a follower of Jesus because he had seen what God can do, that God was glorified in front of him. These are our stories. These are the stories of the people who are here, that God illuminating dark places, being glorified. We are given the holiness of God inside of us, and it comes out as glory when we reveal God to those around us. 
The hard part for Moses was that this glory that he carried around with him, we saw it in the video when he came down from the mountain and he was kind of radiating, like that faded over time. It began to diminish. And and this glory is talked about in the New Testament as well. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians, he, he writes down these words about this fading glory that Moses experienced. He says, therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. He says, we have hope in Jesus, this new life Jesus gives us. We are very bold. We're not like Moses who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away, the the diminishing glory that was reflecting off of him. But their minds were made dull, for to this day that same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day when Moses is read, and when Paul says when Moses is read, he's referring to the first five books of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the books Moses wrote called the Torah or the law. He says, now when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. They can't understand But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, he says, we all, in the south, right, we're all, y'all, you know, all of you in the church, when we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, we are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the spirit. So Paul writes about two different kinds of glory here. Again, the Moses glory that would diminish, that would would decrease over time. Exodus 34 says, when Moses came down from Mount Sinai, the people saw him coming and he was radiating the glory of God, not from inside of him, but simply because he'd been in the presence of God and God's glory was reflecting off of him even as he was walking away. Can you imagine being out there in the village, seeing Moses coming around the corner and it's like, is that a fire over there? What's going on? You know, is that a glow worm? I don't understand what I'm seeing. And and as he got closer, uh, Exodus 34 says that the people and the Israelites, Aaron and the Israelites, they were afraid because they saw him radiating. How crazy is that? That that was his experience because he was in the presence of God. But that that radiation, that glory began to fade because in the Old Testament, when the Spirit of God was given to someone, it was given for a season, for an event, for a certain period of time. It wasn't given fully. He wasn't placed in him fully. And so over time, that, that glory began to fade. That holiness began to fade. And so Moses would cover himself with a cloth. He'd put a veil over his face so that the people wouldn't be discouraged you can imagine, you know, here's this man, been in the presence of God, amazing, I'm going to follow him anywhere, and then over time, he doesn't, he's not glowing as much as he was yesterday, you know, and and it'd start to bum people out, so Moses, he said he covered himself, so he wouldn't discourage the people, and Paul tells us about a second kind of glory, the kind that we have as followers of Jesus Christ, a glory that we have because the Spirit of God is placed in us in its fullness, it is a deposit given to us, the Spirit of God fills us with holiness, the holiness of God, and we glorify him, we reveal him. And Paul says that it happens, did you catch it? With ever-increasing glory. In other words, the longer we walk with Jesus, the brighter we're supposed to be. The The more we reflect his holiness and his glory to those around us. And this isn't because, again, that we're so great. I don't deserve this kind of grace. I haven't earned it. I can't manufacture it. I can't pretend it into existence. And neither can you. We, we just can't do that. It is a gift that's given to us when we give ourselves to Jesus Christ. Now, can you deny it? Can you hide it? Can you diminish the glory of God in your life? Can you grieve the Holy Spirit? 
Yes, yes, you can do that. You can actively choose to give yourself to different priorities, to worship lesser gods in this world. You can, you can give your time and your energy to other things instead of glorifying God. And when you do that, the glory of God reflecting out of your life is diminished. It is lessened. Sometimes people say, you know what, I don't see what God's doing in my life. Or I feel frustrated because I don't feel like he's speaking to me these days. Or I just don't know what he wants me to do. And there's lots of reasons that could be playing out for you. But maybe part of it is because you've given yourself over to things that are lesser than God. You've decided to glorify something else instead of the creator who loves you and is with you and made you and placed his spirit in you. It's possible to diminish that. But the good news is, it just takes a simple prayer, a simple conversation with God, acknowledging that you've walked away, acknowledging that you've given yourself to something else and saying, Father God, forgive me, change me. I want to pursue life with you. I want to glorify you in your fullness. I want to experience your presence in my life. Just a simple conversation with God. And all of that can be turned around. You are a priest created by God for good things so that the holy, holiness of the Spirit might come out of you as, as glory to God. Moses was hidden in those reeds and he was set apart. He was pulled out. You, part of this world, you've been pulled out and given a new calling and given a new name. And the glory of God resides in you and through you because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. We still wander, you know. We still sometimes have tough days. The people wandered through the wilderness and all the while God was transforming them. All the while God was conforming them and giving them a new way of life. And the, true is same, the same is true for us. As we walk through this life, God is at work in us. He's conforming us and transforming us that we might better reflect his holiness that's placed in us and that it would come out as glory to our God. He's ready to transform each one of us. He's ready to move us forward with ever-increasing glory. And that is the gift we have. We might be wandering, but we're not lost. We are chosen. We are holy. We are royal. We are called out by God. And as we look at the life of Moses, we're going to see all the ways that God worked in him and learn that he's still doing the same thing today still walking with us, still helping us to experience his life. So let's ask him to guide us through this time together this fall as we look at the story of Moses. Will you, will you pray with me? Father God, we are thankful for Moses' story. We are so thankful for scripture that it helps us to see how you've worked in history and how you have called people together and pulled them out and used them in powerful ways. And Lord, we're so thankful for Moses and how real he is that, you know, he had doubts and questions. He had failures. He wondered what you were doing. He struggled to see how you'd have him lead. And yet he continued to move forward. And the New Testament talks about Moses as a man of faith who believed in what he couldn't see. That you worked through in a powerful way. Father, we're thankful that you can do the same today in us. We surrender ourselves to you. We lay our lives down. We believe that you are speaking even right now and that your forgiveness for us is real and that with you and through you and, and alongside you, you can, you can give us meaning in this life. You can help us through the tough days. 
You can help us celebrate on the good. And all the while, Lord, might you be glorified. You have given us your holiness. We do not deserve it, but you have given it to us. Might you be glorified as we live it out in this world. We thank you for this time together this morning, a chance to worship you, to hear from your word. Continue to work in us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.